Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques, so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com slash magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Nicole Richard at NI, where she leads an organization of product owners helping to shape the design and direction of a broad portfolio of software products. She's also the co-founder of Science in a Suitcase, a nonprofit focused on helping children in underserved communities build their technical literacy and self-confidence through team-based robotics learning and friendly competition. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thanks, Douglas. Thanks for having me here. Of course. So as always, we're going to start with how you got your start. How did you get into this world of helping children with robotics and product owners realizing their dreams and managing people to do better stuff in the world? Yeah. So as I you know, reflect on it, like I, as far back as I can remember, have always been enamored by the process of and energy involved in groups of people collaborating together and co-creating together. So, you know, from being a little girl, organizing all the neighborhood kids to co-create these different games that we'd play to, as I got older, pulling my friends into co-creating all these different types of events and, and gatherings to benefit various causes to pretty early on in my career, falling into a management role, leading teams and co-creating different products and and services to provide value for users. In recent years, I've really been in the inquiry of like, of how do I, as a leader, really create the right conditions for and provide better structures around guiding teams through this process of co-creation? And back in 2019, another division of my company had hired one of the facilitators working for Voltage Control to lead a workshop. And one of my colleagues in product design helped uh, co-facilitate that and uh, just had a really great experience. And my manager encouraged uh, several of us that were interested in facilitation to sign up for the 2020 Facilitation Summit that you guys put on. And so I did. And I Signed up for that one-day master facilitation workshop that you, Douglas, and Daniel Stillman put on. And Mm. yeah, it was amazing. Like I, like that was really my first introduction into the world of professional facilitation. And here was this group of incredibly skillful people talking about how to design different ways to intentionally lead groups through these series of spaces to draw the diversity of different perspectives in the room and explore problems in new ways and co-create new paths forward to ultimately get to these richer and more engaging outcomes. And it's, you know, it's where I first learned about things like liberating structures and different narrative arcs for designing agendas and learned about all these different energizer and warm-up type techniques and 
uh, I was just really drawn to the whole experience and left with like, who are these people? And like, how do I do this? <laughs> it was a really fortuitous time, actually, because it was right before the pandemic hit, you know, one of the last in-person events that I attended that many people I'm sure attended and before everything shut down. And at that time, like there were so many facilitators that had to figure out how to quickly pivot their business models and their different techniques to, to being successful in an online world. And I was so impressed with the way that this community came together to support each other in that. Like so many people were putting on webinars and workshops and sharing ideas and coaching each other and all of that was just so made so accessible to people interested. And I personally was able to jump into a bunch of different sessions, online training sessions and, and discussions. And I remember times like being in these Zoom meetings and these breakout rooms with people from all over the world, having these really beautiful connecting conversations on these global topics that were impacting all of us, like the pandemic, like mental health, um, social justice, and all of this during a time that was so isolating in so many ways. And so, I don't know, tapping into this community and learning these new skill sets became a real outlet for me over the last couple of years. And I've just been trying to take everything that I'm that I'm learning and apply it to the everyday ways that I'm I'm working with my teens. And especially in this time when we're all in this we're all working in this remote world. Well, it certainly brought up a lot of memories there. You know, when you were even talking about coming to the uh, the conference and some of those pre-conference workshops, I was like thinking to myself, oh, wow, that was right before the pandemic hit. And then you started talking about all the shifts we made during the pandemic to like support the community and and how the facilitation community even responded, you know, just globally folks were leaning in and you know, it's not surprising because if you think about the the principles of facilitation and the core values we all hold, of course we would lean into those kinds of behaviors, yeah. right? Yeah, it was really, I don't know, it was just really impressed and inspired by all of that, that community really coming together and connecting in so many ways. It's interesting, as I've watched your journey and you applying this work internally, I've just been fascinated by how it's infectious, right? Like you kind of told the story about, wow, this is like this discovery process of just realizing that these things are out there and then and then taking those to your people. So I guess I'm just super curious to hear, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are, what are you finding that your teams and your colleagues are seeing the most value in or, or immediately kind of connecting to? Yeah. So I have just been really trying to take everything I'm learning, all these different skills and techniques and apply it to the way that I'm designing and running my meetings. Because so much of company culture like really happens inside of meetings and so much of the work we do happens inside of meetings. And I've just been challenging my self to design the programs I'm designing and meetings I'm running and modeling for others and coaching others to run on my team. Just how do I make those more engaging, more interactive, more energizing? And, you know, with colleagues that are interested in this and kind of really leaning into these more structured facilitation techniques and mindsets, really looking at like, how can we invite people into those spaces where they can be more playful, more connected, be more of themselves and in so do better work. And how can we start normalizing these little micro ways of putting humans and connections first through things like different energizers and warmups, but also create opportunities like using breakout rooms to break people into small rooms to engage in different ways and small groups before sharing back with the entire group or 
opportunities to do some solo work and get their thoughts out first. Embracing visual collaboration tools like Mural to engage people through different mediums and way of thinking and just make the conversations and the collaborations richer. And so I don't know, I'm just really hoping and the people I'm like, are really embracing this are hoping that, you know, with these new ways, these new ways of working um, will bleed into the other experiences that people are having, the way they start showing up in, in their teams and mm. um, in the meetings they're running and just slowly start nudging the culture forward in different ways, new and different ways. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm curious, as you've started to share this with your teams and test things out, you know, in everyday meetings and, and design sessions and whatnot, are you finding certain things or certain certain situations to be more challenging than others? Yeah, I think definitely just normalizing. So we're, so many meetings are run from habit. Like we've inherited the ways that mm. these particular meetings have been done, like project status meetings, mostly recurring meetings. You know, we just have inherited patterns for doing those that weren't well necessarily designed in the beginning. And um, often people just kind of getting together to just figure out, just to talk, to figure out how to move forward without really a lot of structure to it or presenting, you know, bringing PowerPoints and talking through a presentation where half the people are engaged and some people dominate the conversation and the other half of the people check out. And so trying to nudge people to just try new things. First of all, building more energizers and moments for connection into the ways we're working to just kind of break up the monotony of the back-to-back -back meetings that we're all in. And in our company, we experience for sure so many things that other people experience with this sudden move to remote work where, you know, we were trying to translate all the things that we were doing in person to the digital world. And that only worked for so long. And you know, our employees were definitely experiencing screen fatigue and, you know, with calendars being full of back-to-back -back meetings and the constant context switching that required and the lack of those natural energizing opportunities to connect with people socially in between meetings and the strain that video calls put on having to work so much harder to process these nonverbal cues like facial expressions and body language and pitch of voices and just all of this on top of the trauma everybody was dealing with in the world, like people trying to manage working at home with kids, for example, just balancing life that everyone was just exhausted and frustrated with the inability to get deep work done. Like I was feeling it, my colleagues were feeling it. 2020 was definitely a bit of a grind. And we're all, as we were all just trying to figure out these new ways of, of working and, and living. And so, yeah, this past year and I you know, we've launched an initiative called the Workplace for Everyone. We're really looking at what the future of work looks like as we embrace these more hybrid and flexible styles of working. And inside of that, a group of us have been really exploring how we might transform NI's meeting culture to make the ways that we collaborate and do work together just more effective and energizing. So Douglas, inspired by your magical meetings book, we've created our own set of meeting mantras that, you know, things like really challenging employees to be clear on the purpose for their meetings and, you know, if they really need to have the meeting in the first place and, you know, can they accomplish that their goals and more asynchronous means of collaboration and when they do need to have a meeting, can they think through different ways of structuring that meeting to be more engaging, more inclusive, more connected and, and overall more effective? 
don't know, just also really leaning into our partnership with Mural. That's that's been a game changer for us and helping just global teams stay connected and collaborate effectively while all working remotely. And you know, Mural Mural has just been an awesome company to work with. You know, we've teamed up with one of their playmakers to put on this series that we're calling Mural Makeovers where people will come and bring the murals that they're working on and have an opportunity to get feedback from a facilitation expert mm-hmm. and a mural expert to not only, you know, feedback on tips and tricks on how they can organize the information inside of their murals, but also how can they restructure their meetings to make them more effective and uh, just different tips and tricks to handle nuances that come up along the way. So I want to, I really want to lean into this, these types of things and create more programs and interactive trainings for people in the company to help people reimagine their existing meetings and to expose people to, to different ways of structuring interactions beyond these conventional approaches like, you know, presentations or status reports or these open discussions and sharing more facilitation tips and techniques to help meeting leaders be more effective. What have you noticed on the team as far as, you know, as you've introduced the Workplace for Everyone initiative and even seen Mural get introduced and the makeovers and have you seen any new behaviors emerge or for folks and how they're kind of showing up in the meetings? Yeah, absolutely. Like people are really embracing. I see more and more people embracing this the idea of visual collaboration and you know, thinking through how we can structure the ways we're thinking about different topics and interacting around different topics in, in different ways and using mural and different frameworks and techniques to make sure we're engaging every person in the conversation in the dialogue, in like adding ideas, in brainstorming and building off of each other's ideas. It's that's been really and I've watched other meeting leaders, people just leading meetings feel more effective in driving towards the outcomes that they care about. Well, yeah, that kind of brings to mind this notion of confidence and, you know, they're giving people some sense of a playbook and uh, or a sense of, like, here's some moves or some considerations. And then once they experience a little bit of the benefits or improved outcomes, then that confidence builds and it builds and there's a snowball effect, right? And it sounds like there's a little bit of that dynamic starting to happen. And certainly... You know, we built the certification program around that concept, and I know you just came out of that program, and would love to hear some of your thoughts around how practice is playing a role at, you know, this confidence building for you personally, as well as others at NI. Yeah, well, first of all, the cohort, the certification program was a great experience. You know, it was a great journey to go on with this group of really dynamic, incredibly talented people who are all in this inquiry around narrowing in on the unique value each one of us wants to cultivate and provide as a facilitator and developing our own powerful narratives around that. And so, you know, this this program just, first of all, gave me a better language for facilitation and feel for the different flavors of it and the skill sets involved and helped me develop and further develop and clarify my own narrative around who I am as a facilitator, my why, what's calling me forward into this space and what's different and unique about the temporary worlds that I'm wanting to create and invite people into. And in that, like, what are the skill sets and that I want to better develop in the service of the value that I want to provide? And so, yeah, for me, where I'm at in my journey right now, I'm not serving as this neutral third party facilitator, you know, helping other teams kind of get to these outcomes. I'm, I'm mostly facilitating the teams that I'm leading, but I, 
Mm. Uh, really got in this program how much I've adopted a facilitative approach to leadership. Like I always have, I just didn't know to call it that. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be surrounded by just these brilliant, highly capable people. And, you know, I am rarely the expert in any meeting that I'm running. So I'm always looking at how I can actively engage and, and organize others such that their talents, their diversity of perspectives and thought and contributions are fully leveraged in these increasingly complex and nuanced problem spaces that we're working in. And for me, like, you know, just don't build my own clarity and confidence. Like what I keep coming back to for myself is this concept of co-creation. Like I just love the, the energy and aliveness present when groups of people are are co-creating together, building off of each other's ideas to bring something uniquely new forward that no single person could have envisioned or ever accomplished on their own. Like to me, that's magical. And being able to put language around this and honing in on the skills that I want to better develop in service of that has been a really powerful outcome of the program. That's amazing. I want to just jump in there. And I'm curious, the thing that kind of jumps out to me is your statement around you know, this realization that you were a facilitated leader. And for those that may not have heard that term or may not be as clear to them what that is, maybe define that for them. And also, I'd be curious to hear what your advice would be for a director or VP that is trying to take on this new way of leading. Like, what might they start to consider and how might that approach it? Yeah, so... I think the facilitative approach to leadership really, you know, it's, it's all the good things about leadership, like bringing active listening skills to a group, being able to encourage and generate participative discussion in groups, help stimulate creative thinking through different brainstorming and idea generation processes, help people work through different problem spaces, being able to draw out the opinions in, in, of people in, in objective and non-judgmental ways, be able to create that psychological safety, help shape more powerful and strategic questions that teams can explore. But being a manager for so long, like I intuitively developed these skills, like really worked on building better empathy and better listening skills. But it, there hasn't been a structured, I haven't found a structured approach to really developing myself in that. It's more like gut intuition and just practice and finding like this more structured, tangible skill set of facilitation has been really empowering me, empowering for me here. Like there's actual tools and different techniques that you can learn and frameworks that you can develop yourself in to become better at all these things as a leader. That's where you're really trying to it's the mindset of a facilitative approach to leadership. You're not the expert. You're really trying to develop yourself as that expert in process and being able to bring out the expertise of your group and help them move forward in more productive, engaging ways to get to better outcomes. So I recommend for any leader, like any leader, any manager, like I absolutely recommend developing yourself in some of these facilitation tools and techniques. This has been an eye-opening and game-changing experience for me personally. Yeah, it's really fascinating to hear that it was just intuitive for you. You kind of found these approaches, but this kind of discipline, this world, this community gave a new set of vocabulary and also a community or practice to be with and to experiment with and to learn with. Because at the end of the day, the facilitation 
community were to claim to be the experts, then they wouldn't really understand facilitation. And so I think it, it it's going to be an ever-growing field that never stagnates because of just the core principles of facilitation in itself. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are as far as how that begins to permeate through to your team, you know, it's clear that you've really embraced this and embodied this as like a way that you come approach as a leader. But I would imagine that the team is seeing that because you're modeling these things and then it shows up in their everyday meetings because then they're like, well, that seems like a better way to do these things. Have you seen any examples of where you've not even had to train someone or tell someone, hey, this is what we should do? But just through your leadership and your example that people just start mimicking or copying these moves or these styles. Yeah, absolutely. So myself and there's several other colleagues that I work with that are embracing more of these techniques. And one example is building in energizers and warm ups into the ways we run our meetings. And so more broadly, my entire org has adopted this. And a lot of us are mostly using Mural to run our weekly reoccurring meetings. There's a visual artifact that we're constantly creating and constantly rallying people around to capture the conversations we're having and building. It's just kind of expected now that we start every meeting with some type of moment, some type of way to connect with each other on a a more human element, a more social, social way through different types of energizers. So that's one example. Like my org has really embraced that and they're running those in their meetings. Another example is just the adoption of Mural and using visual collaboration tools. I'm really trying to lean into that as much as possible and provide good examples for how to structure and organize content within Murals. How to, especially like how to use it for asynchronous collaboration as well, to be able to design canvases that people can find their way through easily and figure out how to contribute to and structure a combination of both asynchronous collaboration around that and synchronous collaboration, figuring out how to draw conversations out more over time and let people build on each other's thoughts and have time to think through their thoughts and then culminate by bringing everyone together to discuss everything that has kind of been unearthed through that process. Yeah, it's really cool when the artifact of a meeting is the beginning of the next meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Like we don't have to start over from scratch with another conversation about what we remember or what might be maybe documented in a project management tool, but that there's this visual that's ever expanding, ever growing. I think I love that y'all are experiencing that and leaning into it because it can be really game changing for an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping momentum alive between meetings, letting people continue to contribute to that artifact Mm. um, over time. It's been really helpful in terms of being able to capture more information, more thoughts, more perspectives in, in different ways. The age-old advice has been to, you know, always collect action items at the end of a meeting and never end a meeting without action items. And in recent years, I've come to the realization that if we're doing the work in the meeting, we don't have as many action items at the end. And like these visual prototypes or these murals or these collaboration outputs, there might be little tweaks and people are going to own little aspects of them, but they're not so like, go figure this thing out or go own this thing. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go do my what I do because this is my job and my job is to do this particular piece and I'm going to go polish this piece and it's very clear what I need to do because we've visualized it all together and it's there's a lot of clarity. So it's almost like in nature and biology where organisms are working symbiotically, you know, and they just kind of go and get and do their thing and there's like the coordination is at a real atomic level. 
Yeah, I also think that actually one of the big things I I saw for myself in the facilitation program, the certification program was like just got more space around not always having to get things to such a neat and tidy place all the time, like having mm. these like action items at the end, you know? Again, like I'm not necessarily acting as a third party neutral facilitator with teams. So I'm, you know, I'm leading the teams that I'm, I'm facilitating the teams that I'm leading and I'm more attached to the outcome. So I've always like felt this pressure to like find a way to make progress, have the team make progress and get people in action, having accountability. And I just realized how important slowing down and making time for the collective sense making of a messy problem space, how important that really is. Like surfacing where people are, bringing things that were in the background to the foreground. And like this in itself is such an important outcome, action and outcome that gets the group to a point where they have better clarity that pragmatic actions can come from. And I don't know, like Mural makes that, it facilitates that process so much better, like really being able to capture where, where we are, help with that sense making and um, help teams like naturally see how to move forward. I just want to jump in there real quick because I think Mural is a great enabler and it's a platform that can make a lot of things possible, make it a lot easier, certainly, and more durable. But definitely want to give a big shout out to you and credit where credit's due because, you know, just like any technology, you know, a car can get us to work, but we got to get up and stay motivated and get in there and get there, you know? And so just like any tool, I think it takes intention and it takes like the know-how and it takes the diligence. And so I just want to come back to that point you made around that pressure that uh, you were feeling to like have all the answers, right? And I think that realization and being okay and being vulnerable and being brave enough to walk in with the being okay to not tidy everything up at the end, that's a strong leadership shift, a long, strong leadership move. And I just want to say, don't give all the credit to Mural. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like amazing that you got there. And, and also it's good modeling for the team because if they see that shift in you of like, oh, wow, you're sending that signal, you're giving them permission to like, not have everything be so tidy and let's let's explore a little bit to see what we learn and what that might open up and when we need to tidy stuff up we can exercise those skills like it doesn't mean we're unable to tidy things up <laughs> it just means that we don't have to tidy them up every day yeah, or every moment absolutely yeah i think being able to bring grace to a group of people who are fumbling through an ambiguous uncomfortable set of spaces and help them become more comfortable with being uncomfortable, like that is a facilitation superpower. I think that word grace is such a great word to describe facilitation because so often we have to, like you say, go into situations where we're fumbling or that's awkward or just like not great. You know, if we knew that it was going to turn out that way this morning, we might have been <laughs> tempted to call in sick. But here we are, and it's happening, and we're just, to use your word, we're going to deal with it with grace. I think that you know, 100% is hallmark of fantastic facilitation. So my last question here before we maybe peer into the future or, or wrap up here is, like, what is your advice to other directors, VPs, that need to explain this to senior leadership executives? Because the problem I see is that there's a lot of talk of culture and the importance of culture and culture eats strategy for breakfast and all this, but... Rarely do people actually realize that culture means the people and then like how we're how we're working with the people and positioning the people to do good work and how do we convey these things and help leaders, senior leaders understand the power of facilitation and, and working in these ways. 
That's a great question. I think as much as we can do to just have them experience these things, Mm. I think that like when you are in a room with, or in a Zoom meeting with a group of people and you feel the space shift, like you feel that collective energy and just the, you can sense the richness in the conversations and be able to get to these outcomes in these more effective ways and look at problems from different perspectives than you may have, you may have done in the beginning. Like that's, again, there's a this certain aliveness and energy and magic that gets unearthed in that. And I think when you have people experience that, they know that something's different. They can't necessarily put their fingers quite on it, but they experience the the power in that. So I think that's important to just create opportunities for senior leaders to experience these types of collaborations more and more. Yeah, it's like brings me back to this belief around the storytelling, the narrative, and even facilitating them. Because as a facilitated leader, if you're doing this for your teams, is there a way to facilitate up, you know, to offer to facilitate something at your peer group or above, you know, facilitate something for your boss, facilitate something that uh, you and your uh, meeting that you and your peers are in. I think those are great ways to demo that to your point, like, because they have to experience it. And if they're going to, the only way to experience it is either through storytelling of what you accomplish with your team or actually doing it in front of them. Yep, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that's, um, I think, maybe a wrap for today, but I wanted to make sure to give time for you to leave our listeners with a final thought. What should they be keeping in mind as they hit end of the podcast here and go about the rest of their workday? I think maybe I'll leave with a, with a final thought around one of the other big takeaways that I got out of the facilitation certification experience, and that was really around the power in being deeply anchored in purpose and Mm. re-anchoring to that purpose, both in more overt and subtle ways throughout the gatherings and events that you're designing for. Like I, I knew this, you know, you'd never have a meeting without a clear purpose and an agenda, but I just internalized this on a completely other level, like digging deep and really clarifying that purpose is critical for every aspect of designing your gathering, who you're inviting, where you're holding it, the activities that you build in. But also when you're clear, when I'm clear on my purpose, I have such a deeper level of conviction around the uncomfortable spaces that I'm asking people to lean into and the new activities I'm asking people to try, which is critical for me because I'm new at trying so many of these things myself. And it's also just critical to be able to articulate that purpose to people, the people I work with and how I'm inviting them in to get their buy-in and how I reinforce that purpose in the different ways I'm framing um, various points along the way. And so I'm personally, I'm working on building this constant narration and threading a purpose into everything I'm doing as a regular part of my leadership and my facilitation. And that's really helping me elevate how I'm leading different meetings and how I'm showing up. Incredible. Well, that's amazing self-discovery work and great advice for everyone who's listening because it's hard work. And also, I'll say this, facilitating purpose can be really difficult because it's difficult for a lot of folks to even go there because it's soft, it's fuzzy, it's not super concrete all the time, right? It's easy just to repeat the company slogan or the jargon or the team charter and not really dig deeper and what is that core purpose, right? People don't like to do that because it also can seem like a waste of time. It's like, well, we already identified what this project is about. Why do we need to talk about purpose? Right. Because if they don't experience the value of when we really unlock a deeper, deeper thread, 
it's easy to discount it as like, oh, that's hocus pocus or whatever, woo woo or whatever, right? <laughs> right. And so, kudos for you on that journey. And also, it's difficult at so many levels because you you mentioned being aware of its importance, but and not getting deep, deep, and you know, to the point where you're like, you know, really digging into it. And um, it's a spectrum, and not only for us facilitators, but also our participants. So that's a that's a rich, rich topic to explore. I'm not even sure that you can find the end of it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, really appreciate you joining the day, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. All right. Well, thank you for having me, Douglas. It's been really great talking with you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog, where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together voltagecontrol.com.